from the land of adventure and diversity. These are the stories of extraordinary Africans, only on Faces of Africa. It is dawn here in Nairobi today, and hundreds of thousands of the city's inhabitants are on the move. This is Kenya's capital, the hub of East and Central Africa, a magnet since its early days for those seeking opportunities and a better life. But it is also a city of contrast, where the haves and have-nots rush past each other every day. In Loresho, a leafy suburb of Nairobi and home of Mohammed Aslam Khan, this aviator, rally driver and entrepreneur is beginning his day. Most people are asleep at this time. <laughs> One of the biggest advantages of living in Kenya is I think we've got, we got beautiful properties and we have a lot of greenery around. This is, you know, greenery like this you wouldn't find in places like London and Geneva and the rest. There's a big gap between those who have and those who haven't. And you find this, I mean, wherever there's a good residential area, you'll find slums close to it. Aslam Khan clearly belongs to one of Nairobi's so-called haves. Add to this the allure of fast cars and jets, and this somewhat unassuming man would appear to have a larger-than-life story. But in many ways, his story is like that of Nairobi's and like those who over the years have come, made their home here, and strived to achieve success in this competitive melting pot. At the turn of the last century, thousands of migrants from the Indian subcontinent came to settle on the east coast of Africa. Many were brought by the British's coolies to build the railway from Mombasa to Kampala, a venture the tabloids dubbed the Lunatic Line because of the cost and sheer scale of the project. Others like Aslam's grandfather got jobs associated with the railway or set up shop on various stages en route. The railway cost thousands of lives. My grandfather came here with the railway police and then he worked in Kenya for some time and then went back to India than it was and got married and came back when my father was born in Mombasa. Before embarking on the steep climb up the highlands of the Rift Valley, a depot was set up at a place the Maasai called Ewaso Nyaiberi, meaning place of cool waters. This depot quickly grew into what we now know as Nairobi, the capital city of Kenya. The population in 1906 was 10,512, and by the 1950s, the decade before independence, it had grown to about 300,000. As independence approached, Aslam's parents, like many Asian families, decided to move from their rural homes to the burgeoning capital city. Better education, security and opportunity, they believed, awaited them in Nairobi. Muzaffa Khan, a close friend of the families, remembers the early days and recalls Aslam's father's entrepreneurial drive. So his father was always a very shrewd businessman. He brought his own brothers on board and they ran that business for many years before he relocated to Nairobi. The old man was really business-minded and I think Aslam has picked that up uh, from his late father. 
Okay, Solomon, see you this evening, yeah? Good. All right, thanks. What time is it now? 8.30. I think we can try and go via Riverside Drive. Or, no, today let's, let's take the shortcut. Let me show you a shortcut that might be useful to you in, in time to come. <laughs> it cuts a lot of traffic. What we need is more bypasses. Uh, there's no need for all these trucks. Uh, a lot of the trucks are coming in from, uh, from Mombasa. They should really be diverted from Arthur River, taken all the way around. Most of them are born for Uganda and, uh, and Southern Sudan anyways. And that could cut down quite a lot of congestion which is coming into town. But for us, as we can't use helicopters, uh, we just have to find some panya routes, as they call it, you know, how to get to work. <laughs> without panya route? Panya is basically, panya is the Swahili word for rat. So rats always find the quickest way to get around. <laughs> no, oh my God, they've closed this road. So that is the reason why there is such a big pileup. Can you let us through, please? <laughs> oh well. <laughs> no, there's no Panya route anymore. Our Panya route has been closed. <laughs> The family settled in East Lee, a suburb in Nairobi, which the British allocated to the Asians. Many of the Asians, or Muhindis as they came to be known, were traders with a reputation for their hard work, sharp business acumen and thrift. I remember East Lee when I was a young man. That was another India or Pakistan. I mean, shops, hotels, barber shops. And you won't know that you're in Africa. But at that time, also the locals, the population was very little. My earliest memories are when we moved into Eastleigh. It's actually very close to the Air Force base and we could see the Air Force aircrafts landing at the time. They were not flats, but what, there would be rooms. But they would have a common uh, uh, area where everyone would, would get together. Today, most of the Asians have moved out of East Lee and have been replaced by the Somalis and other communities seeking to get off the bottom rung of the ladder. It is an environment that poses numerous challenges for its inhabitants. In the place where Aslam's family grew up and went to school, new communities have settled. We moved into the city council flats in Nagara, and that was close to Parker Primary School. That's, that's why we went to Parker Primary School. There were facilities in school. We, there was hockey, there was uh, football. And we used to have a daily physical education exercise as well. There was drama. Uh, there, there was quite a lot of activities uh, in the school. I know when one is lying, Linda. I know when one is telling the truth. Again. Yeah, Jamuri, I, we, we used to be called Duke of Gloucester before the name changed after independence, they, they named it Jamuri High School. And I went there for my A-levels. Now, I got a very good result for my O-levels, and my dad actually wanted me to become a doctor or a lawyer. You know, this was a very Asian thing at the time. You know, the son, if you got a good result, you should become either a doctor or a lawyer. 
uh, but I couldn't see myself being a doctor. I decided to go for engineering. But a break came through. An ad came out uh, for the Air Force looking for pilots. I always wanted to be a pilot right, right from my childhood. The training in the Air Force was amazing. The standards were very high. We had opportunities to do all kinds of flying, aerobatic flying and the rest. And after my training, I was actually selected to become a fighter pilot, which is something I always wanted to be. But unfortunately, what happened is the uh, first attempted coup in this country was actually 1971, which was actually being planned by a group of army officers who were predominantly from the combat tribe. After that coup attempt, it was established that from the pilots that qualified, the ones that would go on to the fighter squadrons would be Kikuyus. So I was actually meant to go on to the fighter squadron, um, but not being a Kikuyu, uh, I was... I was transferred to the transport squadron, which actually upset me quite a lot at the time because, you know, I was 20, I was what, 71, I was 20 years of age. All that I wanted to do was just be a fighter pilot. Disillusioned by not being able to be a Kenya Air Force fighter pilot, Aslam got his commercial license and began flying with the charter airlines, but had set up shop in a fast-growing region. At the same time, his brother Ashraf, an aeroplane engineer, suggested they buy a plane as the industry was quite literally taking off. He bought a small uh, trainer, uh, Cessna 152-5YBEC, which is still parked out here and still flying. So from that little aeroplane, it was just a journey going forward. But... In 1992, while on a routine flight, ferrying tourists to the world-renowned game reserve, the Masai Mara, tragedy struck. Ashraf's plane crashed and he died. Aslam had to pick up the pieces. The turning point came in 1992, uh, when Ashraf uh, had that uh, accident and, uh, you know, basically I then had to, had to make a decision. Do I continue, continue with the business? Do I grow it? But, uh, you know, Ashraf's kids were very young at the time. My dad and him were in business together. And because our father passed away in a plane crash, which, you know, obviously was very sudden. You know, he just left for work one day and never came home. And so my uncle took over his part of the business and gave us financial support. And in addition to that, obviously moral support. Aslam threw himself into the business with gusto. While conflict and instability plagued her neighbors, Kenya was relatively stable and calm. Humanitarian and conflict management operations were therefore directed from Nairobi. Flying relief food, medicine and equipment to far-flung areas, so the company, Aircraft Leasing Services, flying ever upwards. It was just the time when the uh, situation in uh, Somalia erupted and uh, South Sudan, the conflicts were, were ongoing. And in 94, the situation in Rwanda started with the, with the genocide. So all, I mean, this brought in a whole lot of re relief business in the, in the region. And being in aviation, I capitalized on it. The company was headquartered at the bustling Wilson Airport in Nairobi, which is always a beehive of activity. 120,000 planes take off and land here every year. That is, 13 planes an hour. 
It is a unique airport, dramatically situated a stone throws from the city's central business district area. Well, Wilson Airport is a center for general aviation activities in Kenya. From here, we are able to service clients uh, in East Africa, in North Africa, in West Africa, and we have had operations as far as the Middle East. Thank you for calling ALS. Good afternoon. Kindly hold on. When you work at Wilson, you don't even think you are in Nairobi. It is a world of its own. The good thing why a lot of these investors prefer Nairobi, you see at least the infrastructure is good, the roads are good, the telephones are working. I mean, to get to Sudan, to get to Rwanda, to get to Burundi, to get to Congo. I mean, from Nairobi, all these agencies find it's very easier. The aviation sector depends on the services that you have on the ground. You need airport infrastructure to adequately cater for your market. You need the regulation to support the business plans. Uh, so I think what we are seeing here in Kenya and in East Africa in general is that all these elements are coming together to support the aviation sector. I did come online till I got back. And I switched it off a hundred times. I took the SIM card in and out. I swapped the SIM cards around. Nothing happened. You know? It is here that Aslam, a jovial, energetic 60-year-old, rules his roost. His company, ALS, is a multifaceted enterprise. It reflects an Nairobi where ideas matter more than who one is or where one comes from. Then when you load passengers, make sure that one at a time, okay? Yes. Before you came in, I checked the hole. The hole is fine, three, three each. And the propeller no are looking good. For Aslam to reach where he has reached, it's not been an easy run. It's a lot of work, hard work. So the poor man, when he looks at Aslam driving a Porsche car in a rally, he thinks, who is this Asian who is driving such a beautiful car? But the stereotype everywhere is to say these are the people who are having the best times at our cost. But it's the population growth, unemployment. Uh, all this is causing these problems. 5,650 uh, 5, is a bit high, but I think that's one. Clear, right? It's clear. Left is clear. Okay. I think indeed his, uh, ALS has been his brainchild. I mean, it started uh, more than 20 years ago now. And for all these years, he has run it and, and built it up. Obviously, Aslam himself is enthusiastic and dynamic, he knows what he wants. Has success come at a price? Has it made an ambitious boy growing up in East Lee forget his humble roots? Well, get him or his family in a rally car and the raw enjoyment and excitement and kinship of life together and on the go come through. The childlike thrill of fast cars and the challenge they pose to man and machine is reflected in the faces of the spectators.
<laughs> so I started rallying about 1970s, about, you know, good 40 years. Yeah, but this particular rally is, is very interesting. Uh, the first two stages are narrow and twisty in places. There's a variation of everything. There's a bit of rough, a bit of straight runs, you know, for high speed and a bit of twist. Normally we start off, we do this section. Uh, I think we do about four sections, we come back for service. Then we go for another four, come back for service and then go Another four. On a cold morning after a hearty breakfast, Aslam, his nephew Imran, and co-driver Keith are off on a race. There's a sense of nervous anticipation in the car as they make their way to the start. Yeah, he's a bit of a loony. He's, he's always had nine points. At the start, other teams chat and joke amongst themselves. There is a common sense of mutual respect and excitement amongst the competitors. I started back in uh, late 89 and I went for retire, but I'm, I'm back, eventually I'm back. So it's something you can never stop. It's my sport. Running is my sport. I like it. Very well, and you? <laughs> How are you? Yeah. Very okay. It looks yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, it does. from racing for many years, Aslam is back. But he sees rallying differently these days. It's, it's always great to get back into rally car. And uh, at the moment, uh, to be quite honest, I'm rallying at, at a different level. I'm not uh, trying to get any quicker or anything. I'm just, just driving to enjoy it. also allows him to be with his nieces and nephews, who he has mentored and supported over the years. Good. Plan a whole year now. <laughs> if you look at the history of Safari Rally, Safari Rally brought a whole lot of, you know, used to, be, used to bring a lot of excitement to a whole lot of Kenyans during the Easter holidays. Those four days, I think for everybody, used to be nothing but safaris. It was my passion when I was young, I used to follow up Rally especially Marlboro Rally, 5-5 Marlboro Rally. So I wanted to be a rally mechanic before, when I was young. This car took us time before it, it is the way it is, because we built it from the scratch. It's only the shell, put it together, me and other, my colleagues, and it, it, it took us time. Rallying in Kenya has always held a particular magic for the wider public. Since the days of the Safari Rally, 
dubbed the world's toughest rally. The sport has brought entertainment to many corners and villages across the country. And his Porsche running trouble free, he had climbed up to an impressive sixth overall and was delighted with his progress. And my early memories are, you know, the rally used to be over four days. We spent all of our time at the time at the city hall where they would have a great big scoreboard and all that you had was the radio and on the radio you'd know the progress of how the cars were, I mean, how, I mean, how the cars were going. For Aslam's family, racing cars runs in the blood and the thrills of rallying in Kenya are plain to see. From early days, over the school holidays, we used to all go to our garage in Navasha. So that really put us on to, to know the cars well and then we had the interest of the East African safari then. Before that, it was the Coronation Safari before the Republic, which really geared us up to look forward and to see if we can do the event or we can participate in any way. I always had the interest. As a child, I went to watch my dad and uncle do the big safari rally. And from there, from a very early age, I always had the interest and wanted to come back and do it myself. The biggest thing is your preparation. Car should be excellent. Crew should be on top of that. Secondly, I think the mental approach to every event is very important because every event is unique and different. And rallying is a team sport, so your team has to be with you all the way. If one slip up, just like football, the whole team is let down. So I think it's everything matters in this sport. Rallying proves that if you have the resources, you can do it. If in the past communities stayed apart, social circles in Nairobi show how different things are today. There's quite a lot of mixture now. Uh, people are interacting quite a lot. There'll be a lot more of this happening. But looking back, you know, into the 60s and 70s, you know, everybody, it was very much of a grouping thing. Each community sort of kept very, very close to each other. I'll give you an example. This uncle uh, of mine, uh, Said, uh, who had the rallying influence, I mean, he got married in the early 60s to a Gujarati woman, uh, who, I mean, who was my aunt. And it wasn't taken, uh, you know, in fact, there was a big problem. So much so that it ended up in courts. That was then. What about now? Has much changed in today's Nairobi? Have the old prejudices gone? What is life like today? You know, I grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s, so it was a lot more segregated at that time. But now you see people from different cultures mixing all over the place. For mix up. Well, there's a lot of mixing. That's why we find the most powerful person in the world is Obama. Yeah, many people be mixing together all now. Even the Africans, Indians, all, all together now. Yeah, I can marry any kind of a girl. Even an African? African, Zungu, Chinese, any. Love matters. Mixed marriages were rarely heard of in the past and appeared to be a sign of changing times today. Aslam himself married a lady from Greece despite a relatively orthodox Muslim upbringing. The marriage was brief but the move was made. 
Now that I look back at it, especially in the last uh, 25 years, I put a lot of uh, emphasis on business uh, at the expense of the relationships. I do feel more comfortable when I'm home. I've not really looked after my house very well, um, but that's also because there hasn't been a permanent woman in this house. <laughs> It's another morning in Nairobi. These members of a Maasai market in downtown Nairobi are preparing for the tourists. Today's Nairobi is a bustling metropolis, widely known as the region's premier city. But it's not immune from shifts happening across the continent. Since the last year, the business is very low. No tourists. There are very few. As I can say, it's 50-50 because of the fight which was at Somali because of Al Shabab. Most of the tourists they fear to come, but we are telling them to come. It's very obvious because most of the industries and people can only access jobs around Nairobi. That's the only thing that has made most of the people to move from the rural to the urban. Yeah, just to come to Nairobi. East Africa is the fastest-growing region on the continent, where the challenges and opportunities continue to abound. For Aslam, who spends most of his time hopping from meeting to meeting, these are exciting times. But just what are his reflections on a life and the city he calls home? Kenya is strategically very well positioned. Uh, Nairobi, in particular, for aviation, is a great hub. Yes, you know, a geographical position connects North, South Africa, East, West. With the oil in South Sudan and now oil in uh, in Uganda, prospects of oil either in Lamu or in uh, northeastern Kenya, I think there are there are going to be great opportunities. We should do put this in. Uh, this should do. I've got a couple of business meetings. So I'll, I'll need my suit and. My... Aslam Khan is off again on another trip. There are new planes to be purchased, flight agreements to be drafted, and new markets as Africa opens up to global business. The green city in the sun still beckons people and investment. With so much still to do, will this Rolling Stone really slow down? Next week. Personally, I think I'd like to slow down. Most definitely, I think I want to cut down my travel. Or if I do it, I'd much rather do it differently. Africa is going to need 2,000 aircrafts in the next 10 years. They're going to require 20,000 pilots. They're going to require 60,000 engineers. Uh, we have a perfect weather here. You can fly for almost 365 days a year. The next growth area is Africa. Everybody's focus is in Africa.